Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Debunking Economics Podcast with Professor Steve Keen. I'm Phil Dobby. Today, will skilling up improve productivity? That's the theory, isn't it? With productivity in Britain at least 17% lower than the average for the rest of the G7, if we were just that little bit smarter, the economy would perform that little bit better. But is that really the case? And is university for more people really the answer? That's today on the Debunking Economics podcast. Well, you'd assume, wouldn't you, that the idea of getting everyone uh, to have a better education would improve their lifestyle and improve the efficiency of the economy. It would drive up productivity, in other words. But uh, I'm not sure this is the case. The number of people participating in higher education has increased from 3.4% in 1950 to 8.4% in 1970 to 19.3% in 1990. It's 33% in 2000. And I think we're well above that. In fact, the number of students who obtained their first degree in the UK in 1990 was 77,000. In 2011, it was up to 350,000. Um, but are we seeing an improvement in living standards? I mean, I guess we are, but not to this extent. And what about productivity? Well, it seems to have plateaued. Yeah, I see the whole thing as a load of nonsense, frankly. <laughs> and uh, the reason for that is, is well, it's, it's multifaceted. One of the one of the essential elements there is that uh, uh, somebody having a degree in philosophy from Cambridge, uh, uh, who might otherwise have been a uh, a fitter and turner uh, back in the old days of me- mechanical labour on production lines, uh, I think is actually a fall in productivity mm. because what we define as productivity, um, we focuses upon this idea of seeing. Um, increasing labour productivity is an essential part of increasing GDP, the usual fixation on growth. And, and people say, well, if, if labour is more productive, therefore produce more output. And I think that's completely, and I'll use a technical term here, ask about tit. <laughs> and the, the reason for being asked about tit is that it's not labour that gets to be more productive at all because the way economists think about labour and think about capital, they do, they do both extremely badly. But if you ask them what does the labour mean in, in their equations, it fundamentally means unskilled labour. Mm. It doesn't mean putting an extra Elon Musk on a production line. Uh, it means putting an extra person who's just got a fast pair of hands, hopefully, right, on a production line. Sure, but that's and, for a production line. But if you, <laughs> but if you had, uh, if you're educating lots of Elon Musks, then you might have lots well, of production not. lines. You're not, mm. and this is part. Of, this is part of the problem. This has been a. I've, I've talk, this, is, this is one reason I'm leaving the university sector, and major reason we're leaving the university sector, because if you go back to the 1960s and 70s, before uh, we had the blowout in the. Um, uh, inflation that led to the rise of neoliberalism that led to the argument we should all pay for education, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, only, as you said, a tiny fraction of the population went to university. And a lot of those were elite. They were, you know, the, the ruling class rather than the intelligentsia, uh, yada, yada, yada. But a sufficiently large number of highly intelligent people went through. And they were the Stephen, they're not only, of course, but the Stephen Hawkins of the world and so on and so forth. And uh, ultimately, the Elon Musks as well. 
Now, Musk, of course, like so many great entrepreneurs, dropped out of university, but he learned a lot while he was there. Mm. He certainly learned a lot of mathematics on the way through. And they are the people who increase productivity, and they don't do it by working harder as laborers. They do it by coming up with a new form of uh, production, a new, a new concept of what to produce, which get embodied in machinery. So- and unless it's embodied in machinery, you can forget about it. So fewer people going, but the real true innovators. So presumably you therefore have yeah. to say it's got yeah. to be smart people. We've got to make – because we don't want this position of privilege. So you've got to make sure it's actually really damn difficult to get into university. And and at the same time, what's happened is they've expanded the numbers from 4% of the population to 40% of the population. If you're still attempting to pass the same percentage of that of that of the cohort, so you're not quite the same percentage, but you, you might be passing, say, 90% of those when it's back in the days of uh, – of four uh, percent of the population going, you're not going to be. Uh, you, you're not. You're going to be now. Going to be passing like at least eighty percent every year of those who make up forty percent of the population. I hope people can do the calculations. Here, the exams are going to have to be easier. And uh, there's a good friend of mine. Actually, of all things, an old schoolmate of mine called Tony Stokes, uh, who was uh, we went to Marsh Brothers Cockery together decades ago. I don't. I went up to five decades ago, and. Uh, much to my amazement, Tony and I turned up at a party somewhere and he mentioned he said he's interested in post-Keynesian economics and he became a, uh, I think he's a senior lecturer and associate professor at the Australian Catholic University for some time. Fabulous teacher, fabulous guy too. And Tony and one of his research assistants looked at the whole issue of what happens to university standards as you expand the number of people who go to university. Now, I could, I'll, probably, I'll see if I can link the paper on the, on the podcast or on, on the Patreon site. But duh, it showed the standards have to fall. If you're yeah. going to pass anything like more than half those who go, then you have to drop the difficulty of the examinations. Well, you I think you, aren't you selling yourself down as a university lecturer? Because you'd argue, well, no, they're, they're all getting smarter because they're all going through uh, they're all going through the same education process. So, you know, you, no, you're, you're, getting, so, you're getting smarter me, from doing it, something they hadn't been doing before. I teach at a pretty tough level, as anybody who's been one of my classes will tell you. Um, but it, there is a the, the, the amount of work you're doing is spread over so many more people. For example, I went to the I won't mention the university I went to last week. That gives you two to think of. Uh, but this particular university, which has uh, far better resources than Kingston University, where I currently am, had a student had six, roughly sixteen hundred students with forty staff. And the total secretarial um, support staff for this staff, this, this uh, forty right. staff with six hundred students, was one person. Right. Now, so that's so that's a ratio issue. So that's a that's a quality of education well, what it, what issue. It so it, so, it, so if, you would, actually, of, yeah. if you would actually say, well, look, let's uh, you know, if money wasn't a, a problem, and you you thought that actually getting more people educated was good for the country. Uh, you're saying it's it's not because the standard. No, isn't I think there. it's actually the. I think what actually education was doing, and I saw this right back from the uh, late seventies when I was I ceased being a student in nineteen seventy six. I did my uh, did, I did I did arts law. I, I had an interesting countdown in my. Uh, education. I did three years as an art student, two years as a law student, one year as a, as a diploma of education student, three, two, one, zero. Yeah. And then later I did a master's degree and a PhD uh, further on. But in, in 1973, that was, in my feeling, the beginning of the serious downturn in capitalism. It went from being boom, full employment levels where 
in Australia's case, the unemployment rate, when it exceeded 2% of the population, was sufficient to have the government think it's likely to lose office at the next election, mm. to the stage where it went to 5%, and that was taken as being normal, and now they talk about a 6% rate being, being normal, uh, yeah. being acceptable. A huge part of that increase in education then was just to get more bums on seats because you reduce the education, the unemployment count among the youth, right. frankly. But if, I mean... Political it, cynicism. Right, but okay, but, and that could well be the case. But if, if, as part of that process, if you had the right ratio of staff, if you were able to provide the same level for that uh, for that 40% as you were for the, or that 70% or whatever it is today as it was for the maybe 4% back in the in the 1950s when you were able to provide the same standard obviously you need a lot more teachers but then presumably you're having a lot of smarter people coming out well, that, that, I mean, that, again, I think you've got to say, how do you actually take, what do you need in terms of a workforce? Yeah, terms, that's a bigger if question. If you actually something is looking simply, let's forget about um, uh, the side of you know, culture and aesthetics and understanding Plato and, and uh, behaving as Marx or we all would uh, 100 hence from when, years hence from when he wrote. Uh, let's just look at the sheer getting physical commodities out of a production system, but the strict definition of, of productivity. Does having more people going to university increase that productivity? And the reason people think it does, and particularly economists think it does, they define GDP output as being equal to the number of workers you've got times labour productivity. Hmm. So it looks like, well, if they've got two variables there, you can increase the number of people you're employing and that will increase output, or you can make each of them more productive. That will increase output. Wrong way of thinking because that so-called labour productivity is simply a ratio. It's a ratio measuring how many uh, how many widgets are produced per annum and divide the widgets by the number of people employed and that's where the ratio comes from right. so it's not a causal factor it's a it's a derivative outcome and the and this is a mistake there's actually is recently something which has only occurred to me in with great clarity very recently because I've been working on all the stuff which you know about energy and when you look at how economists from my school of thought, the, the post-Keynesians, non-orthodox, non-neoclassical types, define output. We say, well, output is either equal to labour productivity times how many workers you have employed, or it's equal to uh, the number of machines you've got divided by the, the machine output ratio. And I took a look at that and I think, hang on a second, um, what we've got here is this thing called labour productivity, it's a ratio between output and, and labour, but it's also, put it on the other side of one of those equations, it's a ratio between how many workers you have and how many machines there are. Yeah. And if you have what you saw called rising labour productivity, what that actually is is a small number of people per machine. Yeah. And, and now, look, that's, what's, that's what's caused growth, more machines per person. Right. Effectively. And yeah, and, and that is absolutely what, you know, clearly what's happening in, at an increasing rate these days. So doesn't that mean that, you know, the idea of, well, we, we don't, uh, you know, in the, in the olden days, we had the, the, the small and they were the elite who went off to, to university, they're either very rich or very mm. smart. Uh, and everybody else were the grafters who were doing all the work. We don't need the grafters now because the machines are doing that for us. So aren't we better sending them so they can educate themselves to a stage where they might think up the ideas about, you know, what else machines can do, which is going to improve our lot? Well, I'm afraid that takes a fairly high level of brain power. And again, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a um, eugenicist in the sense, but... I know a highly intelligent person when I meet them. Mm. And if you're going to get somebody to design, let's say, a new way of uh, of designing semiconductors or a new form of rocket propulsion 
or a new way of making 3D printing, et cetera, et cetera. It's not going to be your average bod. It's going to be the absolutely exceptional. But you know, it doesn't individual. have to be stuff like that, though, does it? It could just be somebody who, for example, you have people who've been to university and therefore they can run a uh, run a cereal factory, for example, which is largely automated, but they've got the smarts to be able to manage the business or do the marketing, uh, you know, all, all the stuff yeah, that needs a bit of brain power. There are some of those. I mean, one of my one of my nephews is actually doing precisely that. Not zero companies actually in uh, in uh, IGA in Australia. It was a bit, yeah, it does happen. But most of the learning that that's related to actually occurs not in the university. It occurs in the factory floor, mm. and you have to have factory oriented learning and factory oriented uh, ways in which somebody who is not a Elon Musk can contribute something new. For example, one of my favourite companies for a while in Australia was Mitsubishi which uh, was established a car factory for a while uh, in South Australia, I think it was. And one of their, they brought across a whole lot of the ideas from Japanese manufacturing, but those ideas actually originated with an American uh, engineering uh, guru called Deming, and I can't think of his first name, but Deming invented not just the idea of just-in-time, he also invented the idea of the lean manufacturing system. Now, people think lean means mean. What lean meant was that, if, if you had a, a Fordist factory, there was a production line which went slightly faster than the workers could cope with, and that was it. You just simply had to keep up with it. In the in the Deming factory, it said every worker has to be able to stop the production line, period. Just mm. press a button, it stops. Why did it stop? Something's not working at my station. This isn't working. Okay, let's work out that problem. Get it going again. Get it going again, time and time and time again. Ultimately, every last problem on that production line is ironed out by the workers on the production line themselves. Right. And, and, and that, now then my favorite example with Mitsubishi, that, this is why I wanted to bring it up, is that part of the process of, of building a car, of course, involves putting doors on the thing. And the doors themselves have to be slotted, and you can imagine the sliding it's going to get them on the pillars that hold them onto the the, uh, the chassis of the car. Well, the workers at the stage of doing that worked out that they, the machine itself wasn't adequate to the job, so they they designed a sliding piece of metal that would mean that the door would latch onto the sliding piece of metal, rotate down, and bang land on the on the uh, pivot every time. And the and the, manu- the uh, managing director of the firm was particularly taken with that invention, which was produced by the workers. You're not talking about Elon Musk level here. He's saying, yeah. how do we get this to function properly? Now, that's what happens in factories. It doesn't happen at universities. Yeah. And- well, maybe, maybe it should. Maybe that's part of the issue is that universities are teaching the wrong thing. Maybe I mean, it's been said many times before, isn't it, that they need to be more vocationally focused. Well, we, we, we used to have, and again, there's nothing that totally pisses me off. I used to work for a guy called uh, Rich, what's his name? Um, John Dork. John Dawkins. Yeah, Dork. Dork. That was part of John Dawkins. Pardon me, but I, I'm so bloody annoying. He was Minister for Trade, but he also became Minister for Education in Australia. And he had the bright idea of abolishing the three-layered university system we used to have. We used to have mm. technical and further education for trade skills, College of Advanced Education for secretarial and, and management skills and bookkeeping and so on, and universities for high-level you know, philosophy as well as engineering and science and so on. He decided to abolish the middle layer, which is a stupid idea that has also been adopted in, in England as well, So, as, as I've realised since I arrived here. Uh, education policy in Australia seems to be, uh, we'll think up something stupid, you, you do the same thing and then top us and we'll try that and they bounce between the two countries. You need that, that three, the three-layer system works. You needed yep. to have things specifically for those who are going to work in manufacturing and trades, specifically for those who are going to work in office administration and uh, design to some extent, and specifically for those who are doing the high-level stuff. So I, I think we've done a whole lot of, we call them reforms, and I'm sick of 
have we, how yeah, uh, neoliberals they, abuse the language. I call them deforms. Yeah. They took a perfectly well-functioning system and effed it up completely. Right, because we should, cause I, we, should have, cause we should have technical college, more technical college. We should have technical college. And, and so if you look at the German education, I don't know Germany well enough, but I know enough about Germany to make this comment. First of all, university education in Germany, I believe, is still free. Yeah, but it's restricted. You have, you, t- you have to get a, a good mark to get in there. You have to be a high-performing student, and they have called they have technical colleges which train you at the level of um, of, of manufacturing, design, uh, handling manufacturing processes, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And that that the technology they are taught again in, in those is extremely high standard, far higher standard than you'll find in the most of the Anglo-Saxon countries. Well, yeah. And it is not a put-down to say, I work in this area, because people know you're a highly skilled individual yeah. who produces high-quality machine. Who's um, contributing, um, to the, contributing to the economy, possibly more than somebody who's done a, a communications degree. Uh, Absolutely. Is, is I mean, this stuff is a wank. <laughs> Pardon me. So, <laughs> yeah, I agree. Uh, but look, isn't there's also a question about what all this does to wages, uh, both in terms of graduates, but also in terms of tradespeople as well. So graduates, you know, they see themselves obviously is being more skilled therefore they expect to attract higher wages mm. uh if we have a lot of people expecting higher wages then supposedly that's going to create inflation which might be a good thing because it increases spending power but they get crowded out of course if there's so many of them then the skills that they provide are in oversupply so they're and, not going to be letting to- them we're letting them decide which go and degrees to go and do and the belief of what they think is going to be the um, the area where there's going to be some potential for employment. Yeah. And I'm meanwhile, sorry, meanwhile we're getting, I, I'm, not, I'm not going to delegate. I, I like 18-year-old kids, okay, but I'm not going to delegate decisions about the manufacturing structure of the economy in 30 years time to 18-year-olds. <laughs> See, it's and pretty difficult to do, isn't it? So therefore, I mean... Uh, they don't have a clue. Yeah. They're just straight out of school. Yeah. And but on the other, just finish, to finish off my point before we go back to, no, you know... How no, we, no, we're going to talk over the top of you. Thank no, you, I'm going to talk about... Well, I'm going to... Look, I've got, I've got the fate. <laughs> control here i can do what i want but i mean just just as we're just as graduates are pushing up you know this expectation of their own wages because we're stopping them going and doing trades uh so we've got an oversupply of uh of, of graduates with whatever mm-hmm. skill it is they're offering if we're not getting enough tradespeople, then we're limiting the universe of, uh, of tradespeople and that's why you can't get something fixed for three weeks and it costs you a fortune later on they're getting Absolutely. their wages inflated yeah, I mean, in that case, in, in that sense, education is one of these areas which should be effectively supply-driven, not demand-driven, mm. in the sense that it's it's the it's the to some extent it's the university staff themselves. Uh, to another extent, it's what industry needs as well, which is where the, the you know, having a TAFE level, which is quite okay to have industry determining what they what they think should be taught in TAFE courses, and quite okay about that. Similarly, at clerical places, not at universities, I don't want McDonald's telling us how to do journalism. I don't want them to tell you how you do chicken, but the looks of things that they get the current hassles. Um, but the, the, the KFC, pardon me, or FCK as they're calling themselves right now, um, that th- those elements are where you actually want to have the industry deciding what should be learnt by the students. Even industry is going to be out of date fairly rapidly. I mean, we've, we've got the level of technological change we're seeing right now. Um, the, you know, what, what the industry think they're going to need in four years' time after somebody graduate from an intensive degree isn't necessarily going to be what they actually need when those four years, four years have passed. But there are so many ways in which the whole demand-driven, market-oriented philosophy, first of all, has been a con job. It was really there to disguise how bad unemployment was for the youth. But secondly, you're giving the decision-making power in the demand side, meaning the high school students walking into university, and they haven't got a clue. Mm. of what's going to be needed. They simply know what their mum and dad have done. Now, frankly, but, I'm exactly the same situation. That's why I ended up doing bloody arts law. But but 
um, they've got to do something. I mean, you say yourself, you know, if there's high yeah. unemployment, better off that they, uh, they they continue their education, even if it's irrelevant. It's better to pay them to go to school than it is to pay them to sit at home and play computer games. And there will be something they learn in that process, which is going to be better yeah. for the economy, presumably. But, but I think we've just sorted. This is one area where politicians have really stuffed up very, very badly because they have driven into universities with a political agenda, partly an agenda of spin, hiding how bad its youth unemployment is, but partly also an agenda driven by the backgrounds that most of these politicians come from, and most of them are not engineers. Most mm. of them are not scientists. They are arts law graduates. Yeah. <laughs> I know quite a few. Yeah, yeah. Hello, Tony. G'day. How are you doing, Malcolm? Um, and they, they don't understand the industrial structure that they, they get the responsibility for managing. So we really have given ourselves, it's a, it's a total, another Australian term, furphy, to believe that getting more people to go to university is raising the productivity of labour. It's probably reducing it. Yeah, so do we need a better measure then? Is that part of the problem? Because when we tend to look at what an effective higher education policy is, if you look at the, the measures that are put in place, uh, a lot of it is how quickly these people are finding work and how much they're getting paid, you know, which... Uh, is used in for that argument of course if you're getting paid well then why shouldn't you pay for the education it's it's a personal investment shouldn't we be looking at higher education rather than a, a personal investment and the return it's giving to individuals shouldn't we be trying to find a way of saying well what is it doing for the broader economy how is it increasing or for the broader society for yeah the broader society yeah now actually one thing i'd like we, we should we, actually uh, in april or may we should have david graber come on and have a chat a three-way chat with us because david's coming up with a new book in April, which I'm thoroughly looking forward to seeing, released called Bullshit Jobs, because the large part of what people end up doing actually ends up being bullshit rather than worthwhile work. Yeah. And this relates to this whole issue that you, you aren't really training a workforce for production. They are being trained for a social system, uh, which has all sorts of uh, inefficiencies in it. And if you actually want to look at sort of the point of view of producing output and people get absorbed in doing all these things, which they know are actually probably a net negative for social benefit. Um, so we, I would really want to say, let's, let's go right back and say, you know, what, what did we have in the past that suits the world we are likely to face in the future? And we had, first of all, the tr- technical education for those who are going to work in strictly in manufacturing, um, clerical education for those working in management, the middle level, uh, higher education for those working either at philosophy at one extreme or, um, you know, science and engineering at the other but also we had working men's colleges for the working person who wanted to get exposure to philosophy and different ideas of life and that system which evolved up to and including the the early post-war period i think was a lot better than what we've had the politicians designed in the last 20 or 30 or 40 years after the uh, economic downturn made it uh, imperative for them to disguise how badly the economy was doing but if you if you look at it at a macro level you've, you've got a country that wants to send a lot of people into higher education because they think it's going to make them more more productive and that is which is wrong but but it is if you had the right education could it because i'm and and if you they become more productive then you know you get you improve your country's balance of trade ultimately i'm just thinking that's what china's doing isn't it aren't they and they are putting a lot of people into higher education, that, this, but they're all doing this, STEM subjects. But they also, they're in enormous level of practical training and engineering. And again, yep. I've, I've forgotten the actual um, type of job that, that um, uh, what's his name, Cook from, from Apple was talking about. But he said if you wanted to get people who actually got the knowledge, have learnt, in other words, the knowledge for detailed supply chain management, 
and hold a meeting of it in America, you might fill the room he was talking in, hold a meeting in China, you'll fill, a, you'll fill an Olympic stadium with people with those skills. Mm. So it is something which is, you know, how... It, how I don't think any university person would know how to design a sub-micron-level manufacturing system, except for a tiny minority going through and doing right. But uh, it, but but somebody design. could. I mean, that, that's the point. If you would, no, if you, not if, for the university education. Right. Okay. <laughs> well, we need different people running universities then. Well, let's take it back to the you know back to the to the very basic level. It makes sense, doesn't it? Forget forget about the system that we have and the people who are in it and the oh. way it works. But it makes sense that public money is there to train people up so when they go into the workforce, they are more productive. That's got to be better for the economy. It's just it's not working because the system isn't working. I still think we've got the wrong idea of what productivity is for most people, particularly where manufacturing is headed because uh, you know, things like a, like a boiler maker and a fitter and turner and jobs like that, which were essential in the, up, to, up to the uh, 50s and 60s and even 70s, uh, those jobs are disappearing with robots. And what you, you basically have people who need skills in uh, complaining about what they call computer numerically controlled machines. We don't need uh, many of them. We don't, we don't need many of them, though. It's a tiny number. Yeah. So what does everyone else? Does the human race just dumb down then? We, you know, machines are doing everything. Uh, do we just forget about the idea of an education? Well, then we have to say, okay, what, what sort of education do you need? And then there's an education for functioning in society rather than education for functioning as part of a manufacturing system. Right, but that's and not... that's why I think we need to move in that direction. And that, that sort of talks about more philosophy in many ways than ultimately the, the, the hard skills. But, but it's the complete uh, opposite of productivity. So then you're starting to say, yeah, well, we, do, yeah. we, don't, we don't need STEM subjects for everybody. Yeah. Uh, they can go and do... Well, let's hope they're not going to do communications degrees. Let's, uh, Please, you know, yeah, yeah, there's make, so many radio <laughs> podcast makers out there We already. don't need any There's not, no competition needed there. The, the whole area is sewn up. But no, I mean, yeah, studying the classics or history or just getting a, a breadth of knowledge... Uh, 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 yeah, about and, the world and, we- that, and that then says you're not doing it for productivity reasons, you're doing it for social functioning reasons. Right. And, and that is, you know, I think we, we ultimately have to move in that direction because we are going to need so few people to produce output in the future. Um, but haven't we just come, of, so haven't we just come full circle in this conversation then? Because we, we have, just, we have. <laughs> we started off by saying there's too many people going to university uh, because uh, there's, there's not enough jobs for them. Now we're saying, well, there's not going to be enough jobs for them. We might as well go to university. And in that case, we're saying, what do you do with the teachers? What is, what is the role of the teachers? It's to educate. It's to not – but the, the focus at the moment is making these people productive. It isn't what they're doing at university. It's not what the university achieves. It, when, it achieves when it increases productivity, it's because it inspires somebody or teaches somebody like an Elon Musk how to do computer programming, say, designs PayPal, uh, teaches somebody like uh, Stephen Hawking how to – do incredibly complicated partial differential equations. So he ends up working out theories about black holes and so on. That's the level which actually increases the productive capability of the human human species. It's not what you teach to the 40% of population that are now going to university. But how do you you find those people, though, and give them the knowledge they need to be able to to draw those? uh, You've got to give them freedom. This this is the thing. Somebody who does that sort of stuff is somebody who's just driven by curiosity first and foremost. They're not driven necessarily by money. There were people like Bill Gates who clearly were in their early days, but people like Musk uh, and Hawking weren't there for the money. They had sheer curiosity about that, and you wanted to give them 
uh, an environment that let them exp- in, take their curiosity to its conclusion. So it's giving, uh, so it's giving young kids, right? Kids, I mean, 18 yeah. to 21 year olds access to the resources then, access to the expertise, to the research, to, uh, to be able to find their own way through rather perhaps than the, than, a, than a, the formal process of education. Yeah. And then what you've got when you look at what's actually happening right now, the resources that are going to university per student are trivial. Mm. So the capacity for somebody to go and dawdle inside the you know, uh, laboratory and, and play with the technology and say, can I come up with a new way of manufacturing this or a new way of conceptualizing this idea? Um, they just don't have the time anymore. The, that's, so we are under, we're under-resourcing uh, right. the area but, that's going to give us that genuine productivity. Right, but is that part of the problem is for those people who don't have that inclination who are still going off to university because they can't get a job doing anything else, but really they'd rather yeah. just slack off. I mean, maybe we just say, well, okay, you slack off. Uh, because you're chewing up resources that are being uh, used by those people who've got a you know a genuine interest. Uh, you can come to university so you don't appear like an unemployment statistic. Uh, you can contribute to the local economy because you're going to uh, drink in our bars, but uh, just don't bother showing up. Uh, no, not quite that bad. I mean, please, but 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 I, I would I think we have to think about education uh, for the sake of creating a society which is functional. Mm. Um, and which people you know, don't want to take uh, antidepressants to survive or intoxicants to survive. And unfortunately, where we've gone is, is, is more you know, shoving square pegs in round holes and we don't need the holes in the first place. Right. All right. A very philosophical discussion today, wasn't it, really? But, uh, yeah, edu- <laughs> education, we look at it as a measure of productivity. And you're, and you're saying it's not, and uh, no. and and where it could be, it's under-resourced. Um, so we need to fix that somehow. But it seems like a a major shift in the philosophy, but also uh, in the resources. Indeed, that uh, it won't be happening in a hurry. And uh, I think I'm more likely to see it happen on Mars than happen on Earth. Right, you keep on going on. You you, you want to be on that first trip to Mars? I can tell. Well, look, no, next, no, the third or fourth. <laughs> one of your favourite topics next time. We're going to look at energy. I want to know: is energy efficiency a race to the top? Uh, let's look at different countries and how they use energy. Um, and uh, we'll look at the, you know a few questions on that so we'll look at that next time okay but that's it for now hopefully that has been informative uh, slightly at least entertaining anyway I'm Phil Dobby this is the Debunking Economics Podcast with Professor Steve King we'll see you next time flexibility is great that's why there's yoga flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too that's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. If you've enjoyed listening to Debunking Economics, uh, even if you haven't, you might also enjoy the Y Curve. Each week, Roger Hearing and I talk to a guest about a topic that is very much in the news that week. It's lively, it's fun, it's informative. What more could you want? So search the Y Curve in your favourite podcast app or go to ycurve.com to listen.